that was awesome. <laughs> hey, I want to welcome you if you're here today at our LaGrange campus or you're here at our Noonan campus. I want to welcome you to 2015 here at Southcrest. If that last song didn't get you fired up, your wood is way too wet, okay? Uh, we were going to do centuries, but we figured most of you had heard that song all last weekend a million times while watching college football. So we decided that we were going to do something to kick off this year. We're going to do this series called This Life. I want you to look at your neighbor real quick and say, this is all we got. Look at him real quick. This is it. All right. You get one shot. You get one shot at this life. And uh, as I was thinking about and preparing for this series, man, God really began to drive hard, very home, I'm home very hard to me what he wanted us to do as we kicked off this year. But I want to tell you something. Uh, I get to take liberties as a pastor from time to time and talk about some of the great things that God is doing in and through our church. First of all, I want to tell you that I am praying very hard for our LaGrange campus that this year we will launch our second service, and I'm praying that this year we find a permanent location for our LaGrange campus. And I know they're cheering down there right now as they hear me say that, but listen, I just believe that God wants us to plant sites and campuses of Southcrest all over South Atlanta. I'm praying for the city of Carrollton. I'm praying for the city of Peachtree City. I just believe God wants to take this heart and this vision and take it all over South Atlanta. If you believe that with me, would you say amen? So very excited about that. The other thing I want to tell you, and I'm telling you, if this doesn't jack you up and get you excited, then I'm going to ask you to come forward right now and give your life to Jesus, okay? Uh, during the month of December, every year, our church takes up an annual Christmas offering. It's part of the DNA and the history of our church, where we challenge our members and attenders to give over and above their tithe during the month of December. Uh, during the month of December, you as a church body gave $101,000. <laughs> Let me tell you why that's so significant. That is the largest amount that has ever been given in the history of our church to any one single offering. I want us to give Jesus a huge praise this morning. Let's give him glory. I'm so excited about that because when I heard that number, the first thought that came to my mind was this June when we sat at beach camp and we watched that first teenager give their life to Christ. And we know that we played a part in seeing a, long, a young life change forever. And so I'm just so excited about that. I'm jacked up. Listen, if you didn't give during December, you can give during January. Let's jump on in, all right? Amen. I'm excited for that. If you have your Bible... Take, uh, take your Bible, turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 90. If you hadn't figured out, I'm excited, okay? Uh, as a pastor and as a, as a minister and someone who, who's done this now for 25 years, uh, not preaching for two weeks is like telling a child who's four they can't open a Christmas gift, okay? So for two weeks, I've just been kind of stewing in my heart. I actually wrote the series of these, uh, these messages before I left for Christmas break. And so they've just been kind of welling up in me. And I wanted you to know as we launch this series today... This series is very, very personal. So take your Bible, turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 90. Psalms, chapter 90. January, for me, is the time that I start looking forward. I start looking forward to everything. I, number one, I start looking forward to spring. I look forward to warm weather, not cold weather. I look forward to getting to wear flip-flops again, amen? I look forward to April 15th being behind us, amen? Uh, I look forward to all those different things about my life. I, I, I look forward and I stop looking back. 
Now, for most of us, we spend December looking back. We spend a lot of time looking at photos. We spend a lot of time looking at home videos. We spend a lot of time looking back and we analyze our lives and we typically make a statement something like this. 2014 was a year full of blank. And we fill in the blank. And we look at it and we say, man, it was a great year, or it was a bad year, or it was a hard year, or it was my best year ever, or it was the year I finally figured this out about my life, or it was the year that I fell into things in my life I shouldn't have fallen into. And, and we spent a lot of December either full of regret or just full of, man, I, I just wish I could have done more this year. But it's great because when you start a new year, you begin to think of a new life. You begin to think of, man, all the possibilities, all of the what-ifs. What if something were different this year than last year? How much of a difference could my life make if I did these two things or this one thing? And so we start looking forward. But I started thinking about this as we were shaping these messages. How much of our life is truly shaped by where we live and who we do life with? You ever thought about that? I mean, I am now, you know, about to turn 45, and when I look back over my life, I think of the people's lives that I have intersected with. Being in ministry these years, we've lived in some different places, and in those different cities and in those different churches, I don't have any regrets about the lives that we were able to intersect with. In fact, at the season of my life I'm looking at, one of the things that I've recognized is how valuable those intersections were. The people that God brought into our lives at the season in which he brought them into our lives. But I think, how different is our perspective if we don't understand that about this life? I mean, some of you, if you've grown up in South Atlanta your whole life, raise your hand to both of our campuses, okay? How many of you have grown up in Noonan your entire life? Raise your hand, all right? How many of you grew up in the Midwest, you're not a southerner, okay? How many of you grew up in the northeast, all right? There, there's all different types of people here at both of our campuses, and, and we have all these different backgrounds, but think about this. How different has your life been shaped by the places that you've lived and the people that you've encountered? Now, some of you are like, man, I want to get out of this place. I want to leave here because I've never encountered any of that. Well, go next door and knock on your neighbor's door. You might find a whole other life that you didn't know existed. And that's one of the reasons why we believe so much in relationships. But when you think about it, our lives tend to be shaped by the people that we encounter, the places that we go. I heard a, a wise gentleman say this to me one time during a leadership conference. He said, Sean, you will be the same person you are today five years from now, except for the places you go, the people you meet, and the books you read. One of the wisest things that was ever poured into me. You will be the same person you are today, five years from now, except for the places you go, the people you meet, and the books you read. And I thought, wow, how different our lives are. So I started investigating this life. I did a little research. I found out that basically this life, on average, is about 78.6 years. Some of you go, oh my gosh, I'm getting close to that, okay? You still got a few days left because you don't get to number your days. God does. But have you ever thought about how we spend our lives? I mean, what is it we really do? If we have 78.6 great years, what do we spend our lives doing? So I did a little research on that too. I found this to be very funny. You can see these up on the screens today. How do we spend our lives? First of all, you spend 25 years of your life sleeping. 
Okay? So some of you that say all the time, I just need a nap. Listen, you can sleep for eternity, man. Live it up, man. Stay awake. Have a good time. You don't need 10 hours of sleep, okay? You need just enough to get you by because you're wasting 25 years of your life under some sheets. By the way, invest in some great sheets, amen? That will help that experience out. Number two, you work for 10.3 years of your life. (laughs) Can I hear a moan? Oh. Oh. 10.3 years. Women spend 17 years of their life trying to lose weight. Can I get someone to testify today? (laughs) 17 years. This means you go from one diet to another for 17 years of your life. I think men maybe spend a year. I mean, we tried a couple times. We're like, I'm a man. I'm not going on a diet, you know. If I met Weight Watchers, I'd punch them in the throat, okay? Number four, you watch TV for 9.1 years of your life. 9.1 years of your life. Now, think about this. Watching TV accounts for half of all of your leisure time, about 2.8 hours a day. You spend two years watching commercials. (laughs) Yeah, here's what's crazy. A three-hour NFL broadcast only has 11 minutes of actual gameplay. Woo! Now you know why they spend big bucks for Super Bowl commercials, right? That's a lot of wasted years. You spend one point years of your life cleaning You spend 3.66 years eating, which equals about 67 minutes a day. Some of you go, man, if I can just get that down to 62 minutes a day, I'll lose these 10 pounds, all right? You drive a car for 4.3 years. If you live in Atlanta, I think that average is higher, okay? I think you may spend upwards of six years. In that time, you will cover enough distance to go to the moon and back three times during your lifetime. You spend 1.5 years in the bathroom. The average person goes about six times a day. I mean, that is a lot of candy crush. Okay. I'm just telling you right there, man. And we wonder why app sales are so big. All right. Number 10. You spend 70% of your waking life in front of digital media. Wow. Isn't that very telling? 70% of your life in front of digital media. That's why when the power goes out at your house, it's like the apocalypse has happened, all right? You laugh out loud 290,000 times in your life. It's about 10 times per day. You spend 90% of your time indoors while you live. That's why we need to be outdoors more, right? You spend 14 days of your life kissing. 14 total days. Some of you girls are like, oh, wow, 14 days kissing, okay? That's about... uh, Yeah, that's a whole lot of kissing, okay? Most people wish it were more. You drink 12,000 cups of coffee in your lifetime, (laughs) which is about 1.6 cups a day, okay? I blow that average up. I just want to tell you that. Women spend nearly one year deciding what to wear of their life. (laughs) They've tracked this long enough. (laughs) I asked my wife, I said, is that true? She said, I think it's probably 1.5 years of your life, okay? The average man will spend one year of his life staring at women. (laughs) That's very profound to me, okay? (laughs) Women spend eight years of their life shopping. That's over one hour every single day. Eight years of your life shopping. (laughs) Some of you are like, yes, all right? (laughs) Don't hate on me. I'm below average. That's what some of you are saying. Women spend 1.5 years doing their hair. 
That's 14,000 hours brushing, washing, blow drying, straightening, curling, and cutting your hair. (laughs) So you go, wow, where does he get this stuff? The average employee spends two years of their life sitting in work meetings. (laughs) And I heard y'all on that one. Someone's going to stand up and testify, okay? Yeah, the truth is, we spend our lives doing a lot of things. And here's what I've learned about life. We get fixated on life expectancy. I mean, they even have calculators now, right? You can go and look at a life expectancy calculator and say, okay, according to where I live, according to how I drive, according to how I eat, according to my weight, according to my blood pressure, I will live to exactly this time. And it's funny because as you see people do that and you hear people talk about their life expectancy, they get so focused on the day that they will die. And think about it, really, we have our birthday and then we have our death day, the day that we're born and the day we die. And many times we don't really do a lot with the dash that's in between. So what we do is we put all the emphasis on when we're going to die and how we're going to die. We put all our emphasis on our birthday, and we forget the dash. So I want to make this statement to you today. If you're taking notes, this is a great one for us to begin with today. The greatness of this life will not be determined by the date you die, but the dash you live. The greatness of this life will not be determined by the date you die, but by the dash you live live. Make it count. See, here's how I know this is true. If I were to put pictures of different movie stars or, or music stars or, or famous political figures on the screen today, there would not be probably anybody in this room, unless you absolutely love history, that would stand up and quote back to me the day they died. Because that's, in, I mean, you don't even care about that. But if I were to put a picture of a famous political figure like John F. Kennedy or Elvis Presley or whoever it might be on the screen, you would be able to tell me what about the dash they lived. They changed history. They changed music. They changed literature. Whatever it is they did, it was the dash that they lived that made the difference. Here's what that tells me about our lives. Every single person in this life, more than anything else, wants to know that their life counted and that it had significance. So the psalmist tells us here in Psalms 90 a very, very telling thought. In fact, if you study this psalm, it's known as a psalm of Moses. So think about Moses' life, okay? Think about all that he experienced with his relationship with God and with his relationship with with the people of God and, and, and all that he had gone through. And in this psalm, starting with verse 1, look what he says. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turned people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. That's very, very telling. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death, and they are like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up, but by evening it's dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. 
You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in light of your presence. And all of our days pass away under your wrath, and we finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years, or 80 if our strength endures. Yet, the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass, and, and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, the wrath, or your wrath is as great as the fear that is due. And then look at verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. What a profound thought that Moses gave us in that psalm. He says, I want to understand the brevity of my life. Because if I have brevity of life, I probably will find greater clarity for my life. I will probably be more passionate about every single day that I have to live if I realize that my days are numbered. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I was born on January 27th, 1970. I thought the other day, what day am I on? I mean, do we, we do that sometimes. We don't think of it like, you know, I'm on day 6,421. But, but, but the truth is, my days, is not, my days are numbered. And your days are numbered. The truth is, as the psalmist said, it's like grass that grows in the morning and withers in the evening. It's so brief, and it's so quick. And so what the psalmist says is, listen, if I truly could understand how brief my life is, it would bring greater wisdom to my life. It's like he was saying this, we can only live our days wisely when we see God clearly. And that's very important. You know, David himself in the Psalms, he said it this way in Psalms 39, Four and five, kind of talking about the same issue. He said, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. And my entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. You ever stop to think about that for a minute? Life happens fast. I mean, if you're in your 40s, Life is happening fast. If you're in your 50s, it's happening even faster. If you're in your 60s and 70s here today, you're like, Sean, I am on a speeding bullet train. And I feel like my life just does not slow down. I remember being in my mid-20s. I was in that season of life where I was trying to make everything happen. And so I was like, man, I want to I do well. I want to work well. I want to earn a great pay. I want to do all these different things. I want to have a family. I want to have a house. I want to have a car. And listen, something changed after age 35 in me. And really something changed after age 40. I started saying all those things just don't matter as much anymore. What matters is the dash that I'm living. Not the day I die, but what am I doing with my life? So I thought about this. If you have a pen, write this down. Wisdom comes from making every day count, not counting every day. Wisdom comes from making every day count, not counting every day. Some of us live in the fear of death so much that we can't enjoy today. Some of us live in the fear of our future and, and you know, am I going to die of an illness or am I going to die in a plane crash? Or l- Listen, you, you can't live that way. Wisdom doesn't come from living that way. Wisdom comes from making this day count. Why? 
because you only get this life. So the psalmist said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. How do you do that? How do I do that? How do we make that walk in our life? If you want to write some things down, here's the things that I've really come to in my life. First of all, focus on legacy, not on life expectancy. Focus on legacy, not on life expectancy. It doesn't matter what day you're going to die. It doesn't matter if it's a Tuesday, a Thursday, or a Friday. That's inconsequential. But what matters is what will be left when you're gone. Focus on legacy, not on life expectancy. How we live the dash in between the date we're born and the date we die determines our legacy. I remember the the day very well that, that we buried my mom and that she passed away. You know, it's one thing to lose one parent. When you lose that second parent, it's it's man, it just blows your world up. And I remember standing beside her casket. As my brothers and sisters were leaving, and I told them, I said, I want to stay here until they lower her in the ground. And as I was staying there, there was about a 30-minute window, and man, I just, I really just used that moment to focus on my life. And I looked around, and I saw all these headstones around my mom's place where her headstone would be. And as I did that, I had this crazy thought, how much potential was left in every one of these lives. I mean, think about it. There were teenagers buried beside her who had been killed in car crashes. I knew because the cemetery was the cemetery I grew up around. I knew all those people. I saw names that represented generations of generations in my hometown. And here's what I thought. The saddest part of a gravesite is not the day that the person died. It's the dash they never lived. The opportunities that God gave them with their life, that they said, nah, no. And instead of focusing on the legacy that they would leave, they spent their whole life talking about the day they would leave. God formed us and fashioned us to live for legacy. See, here's what I want to challenge you to do in this new year, okay? Now, most of you in this room, most of you at both of our campuses, you have some sort of, you wouldn't call it this, you have a bucket list, right? You know what a bucket list is. Like, you look and say, okay, before I die, these 10 things have to happen, you know? And and for some of you, it's front row at your favorite band's concert, you know? Some of you, it's I want to meet so-and-so face-to-face, or, you know, I want to take a trip somewhere, and, and it's funny because we look at our life now and we look at the day we die and we say, man, my goal is to finish that bucket list. Let me ask you a question. How differently would you spend your life today if you put away your bucket list and you started a legacy list? When I'm gone, this is what I want to happen. I had one of the greatest gifts given to me over the Christmas period. One of our church members, John Wells, he gave me my father's history. Now, if you know anything about my family, I had incredible parents, but I knew most of my mom's side of the family. I never knew my dad's side of the family. So he hands me a book and basically takes us all the way back to the 1600s to learn about my father's history. And in the meantime, I'm preparing these messages, right? 
So, you know, if you think God's not real, (laughs) he works everything for his purpose. And I'm reading through the history of my father's side of the family, and I begin to realize the importance of leaving a legacy. What will they say about me 300 years from now? What will they say about you 50 years from now? Listen, it doesn't matter how much wealth you accumulate, your children, your grandchildren, they're just going to spend it. The question is, what will they leave you with or what will you leave them with that will last four centuries? That's what a legacy is. It's not about the day you die. It's about the legacy you live. David understood this because in Acts 13, 36, we hear about David's life. It's one of the most telling things about how David lived his life. It says, and when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. David. Now think of all the things David was known for. He was a shepherd. He was a giant killer. He was a sinner. He was a man after God's own heart. And yet the Bible says when he had served God's purpose in his own generation, his time was done. And the one thing we remember about David was the legacy that he left. He was King David. He was a giant killer. I don't know about you, when I leave, I don't want them to put my things in a U-Haul and say, hey man, that's what he was, everything in that U-Haul. It's all, I mean, they're going to take that U-Haul away. Someone else is going to rent it. Someone's going to live in your house. Someone's going to drive your car. Someone's going to wear your clothes. But the legacy that you live will far outlive your life expectancy. Why don't you start a legacy list? It's great to have a bucket list, but have a legacy list. So I want to do a little step with you real quick to see how tough your legacy list is. Real quickly on a blank piece of paper, I want you to write down three things you want to do before you die. Do it real quick. Go. And go. Three things you want to do before you die. I want to eat at Golden Corral. At 1230. Write it down. All right. You say, I just got the first one. I wasn't coming to church today expecting to create three things I want to do before I die, okay? Now, here's the thing. Real quickly, I want you to write down three things that you want to do if you knew you had 30 days to live. How different is that list? It's pretty different, isn't it? I mean, some of you would be like, man, Sean, before I die my bucket list, I want front row tickets to a U2 concert. Okay, that sounds cool. That's great. That's great. But listen, if I had 30 days to live, I wouldn't care about Bono. I would say I want to meet with every single family member for three hours, and I want to tell them about my life. Why? Because it's not about the day you die. It's about the legacy that you leave. Teach us to number our days. That's the first thing. Second thing, think next step now. What is my next step? Part of living this life is learning to live for the next step. What is my next step? The first step is always the hardest step. We know that, okay? A lot of people say, hey, man, I want to write a book someday. But few people are willing to sit down and write the preface. A lot of people say, I want to run a marathon. They're just not willing to go run a block. But guys, listen, what is your next step? And what's keeping you from taking it now? You say, well, man, I don't know. 
You know, I mean, I got all these things I want to do. Listen, the most important step is the next one. So don't just think about legacy. Don't just think about, man, after I die, I want to be remembered for this. But what is the next step God wants me to take in my life? And am I willing to take it now? Am I willing to take it now? You see, here's the thought. We overestimate what we can do in three weeks and we underestimate what we can accomplish in three months. The next step is the most important step. Think about your relationships. Think about your career. Some of you in this room, you're struggling with addiction, and you're like, man, Sean, what is my next step? Like, I want God to heal me of of the addiction that I have. Listen, what is your next step? You know what it is. The question is, are you man enough? Are you woman enough to take it? Take and think next step now. Some of you, you're like, man, I want to serve God. I want to make an impact in children's lives. Well, come on. We need you, both of our campuses. We need tons of new next-gen leaders. You say, well, all I can do is like color with, come on, man, get out your green color. Come on. Color with the best of them. Bring it on. You can impact the child's lives, but the question is this. Are you willing to take the next step now? Because here's our problem with the next step. We say, I'm going to take the next step when I'm ready. You'll never be ready. You never will be. You'll look back at your life and you'll say, man, I wish I would have done that sooner. Wisdom comes from taking the next step now. We all need to create a greater sense of urgency in our life for the next step. Why? Because a sense of urgency for the right things in our life will create a greater passion to live every day right. I don't know if I have six weeks from now, but I have today. God's given me today. And I hope he gives me tomorrow. And I hope I get three weeks from now. But he's given me this moment. Think next step now. A sense of urgency, believe it or not, can bring you a sense of destiny. God has destined me to do this. Why? Because he's put in this passion to say, take the next step now. Listen, some of you, you're like, man, I want to serve Jesus. Listen, take the next step. I want to start giving. Listen, start now. Well, if, if I just, listen, go now. Some of you are like, hey, I know that there's this relation. Listen, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Teach us to number our days. Teach us to understand the brevity of our life. The third thing, and I think it's so important, build an eternity portfolio. I think the key to maximizing this life, and this is something that a lot of people don't ever talk about, is if you're going to maximize this life, you need to start building an eternity portfolio. What does that mean? See, we spend a lot of time here on earth talking about our portfolio here. We talk about a 401k. We talk about a savings plan. We talk about how much you're going to have for retirement. We talk about where we're going to live, who's going to take care of us, pension, you know. And we put it all in this deal, and we line it up, and we look at our our, our deal here, and, and we go, okay, is that really going to be enough? But what if you started building an eternity portfolio, the things that will last for eternity? You say, well, is that really biblical? Yeah, it's totally biblical. Ecclesiastes, which is one of the greatest wisdom books in literature. Listen to what he says about eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also said eternity in the human heart. 
Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Here's what I know about every person in this room. Whether you want to admit it or not or not, God has put eternity in your heart. You say, well, I'm not even a believer yet. Like, I haven't even placed my faith in Jesus. Listen, before I was a Christ follower, I understood eternity existed. I was not going to live forever. A hundred percent of you are going to die someday. You, oh, I'm going to die. I just thought it was 92.7 of us, okay? The truth is, we're all going to die. So what is it that I'm doing that's building my eternity portfolio? Not just my legacy, but the things that I can do here on earth, because eternity is already in my heart, that will last for eternity. You see, here, when we talk about a portfolio, we talk about diversification, right? Don't put everything here, don't put everything here. We talk about an eternity portfolio, we talk about glorification. The things that when I die, I'm going to stand before Jesus and go, Woo! That was awesome! (laughs) Some of you go, oh, he's on crack. No, I'm on Starbucks, okay? (laughs) All right, amen. Paul, talking to the church at Corinth, He's trying to get them to see their eternity portfolio and say, guys, listen, there's some things that that you're putting all your hope and your faith in that they're just not going to last. So in, in 1 Corinthians 3, in verse 11, listen to what he says to them. He says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet he will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Here's what Paul was saying. Some of you are building your lives with the wrong materials. What if you begin to build your life, this life, this life, every day on eternal materials? Your relationship with God. Your relationship with others. See, I truly believe there's only two things that last forever, the Word of God and the souls of men. I mean, you can boil everything else out of the pot, and that's basically what you get. And so if, if, if I'm going to have this eternity portfolio, and it's not about you know, diversifying here, 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 it's about glorification, what is it going to last? I want to put everything I have into those things, my relationship with the Lord and my relationship with others, because that's going to last. Start to build an eternity portfolio. So I want to ask you a question. What would happen if each person in this room made a decision to really go for it this year? You ever thought about that? I'm not talking about losing 150 pounds. I mean, if you need to lose weight, that's great, man. Go for it. That's a great goal. If if your goal is, man, I want to start saving, man, that's a great goal too. Listen, there's so many great goals. Do those things. But I want to ask you a question. What would happen in this room, what would happen at both of our campuses if every single person made a conscious decision that in this life, in this year, I'm going to go for it? And what does that mean? It means that I'm going to stop trusting in myself and I'm going to start putting myself out there and saying, God, I know I've never seen it before. I know I've never experienced it before, but I believe you have more for me. And I want you to help me number my days so that I will have a heart of wisdom of how to live this life. Because it's about eternity, it's not about now.
It's about what will last, not just what will gratify now. I want to issue a challenge today. You can write this down. I challenge you to put it somewhere, put it on a mirror, put it in your car. And here's how much I believe in this challenge, that I believe if you will take this challenge and you will take your smartphone and you will document what God will do in your life over the next 300 plus days, you will be blown away. Here's the challenge. God, what do you want me to do this year? Give me the faith and the courage to go do it. Write that down. God, what do you want me to do this year? Give me the faith and the courage to go and do it. If you write that down and you begin to speak that back to God every day, you know what you're saying to him? Lord, by asking you this question, I'm already surrendering my heart to you. God, what do you want me to do this year? Some of you, that's a mission trip. Some of you, you need to go back to your job and you need to say, this year, I'm gonna be a Christ follower. I'm gonna let every person on my job know that I'm praying for them daily, every single... For some of you, you're gonna start loving that neighbor you don't even know their name yet. For some of you, you're gonna start serving Jesus in a capacity you never dreamed possible. God, what do you want me to do this year? Give me the faith and the courage to go and do it. Would you bow your heads with me today? At both of our campuses, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I, I want to tell you that there is so much about this life that gets me excited. I mean, I'm excited for eternity. I can't wait. But I want you to know that if, if you're ending your days here on this world thinking, man, this place is all going, you know, to hell in a handbasket. Listen, I am not that person. And I'm not Mr. Positivity all the time, too. I'm a realist. But I want to tell you what, I believe God wants to raise up his church to change the world in 2015. I'm praying for every church in South Atlanta to have revival, that their hearts would be stirred, that their passion for God would increase, that people would be so drawn to those churches. You know why? Because Jesus is being lifted up. And I think when Jesus is lifted up, people come running to find him. That's what we see in scripture. But I want to tell you where that starts. That starts with you and I. God, what do you want me to do this year? Give me the faith and the courage to go do it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed at both campuses today, maybe you came into this place and the greatest decision you need to make this year is you need to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Listen, I want to tell you, man, there's no amount of religion that can change you. There's no amount of, hey man, I went to church 20 times this year instead of 15. That can change you. But it's in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So with our heads bowed at both of our campuses, I want to invite you, if you've never given your life to Christ, would you pray this prayer with me? To ask Jesus to come into your heart and that today you're going to begin the greatest journey of your life. This life is going to take on a whole new direction for you. Why? Because today you're going to decide to give your life to Jesus Christ. If that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, dear God, thank you for bringing me here today. Lord, I know you love me and I believe you have a plan for my life. Lord, I've tried to live my life my way. But I realize what's missing is you. 
Jesus, would you come into my heart and come into my life, forgive my sin, and be my Lord and be my Savior. Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender my life to you today. And Lord, I want to live this life for you. Today, I give you my heart, and I pray that you would radically change my life. I trust you, Jesus, to do what you say you'll do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.